Uh, thank you for the invitation, Dwight. I appreciate it. I uh, feel honored to be here and uh, excited, I suppose, would be a good word for it. The passage that I want to share with you this morning and say some words about is one that I've, I've been looking at for years, actually. Uh, it used to puzzle me a lot, and I wondered what its, its value uh, was for us and why these particular temptations um, are listed. Um, and it feels like with each year I spend with it, 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 goes a little, it goes a little bit deeper for me. And I hope it will be uh, beneficial for you. I want to read the passage first. We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, the first few verses. And to give you some context, this is early in the story of the life of Jesus. He... Um, he has uh, just been uh, baptized in the Jordan River. Um, he has been identified by his cousin John as the Lamb of God. Uh, but nobody really knows what this means, uh, what it portends. Um, so here's this new kid on the block in some way who, um, you know, is baptized, he's, he's performed no miracles that we know of, nothing has started, and the first thing that happens is he gets thrust out into um, a deserted area. It says the desert, but you don't want to think of the southwest in the U.S., it's just a deserted area, devoid of people, so he is alone. Um, one of the Gospels actually says that he was driven or thrown out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is a really interesting uh, passage because it, um, the, the verb that's used there is the same one that's used when you throw out a demon, exercise a demon. It can be a pretty violent word. So, but but what, it, what we, I think we can get from that is there is, some, there is an impulse for him to go away from people before he engages in the public, public ministry. Um, the other thing, and I'll sort of give away the last part of this uh, before I read it, um, it says that when the temptations were over, the testings were over, that it says that the, uh, that the devil left him until a more opportune time. So this isn't a, a, a one-and-done thing, um, that there are more opportunities that will be seized by the, by the enemy. So, uh, and the other, the, the last thing I want to say before reading this is, what is our picture of Jesus in this temptation? Is he Clark Kent, um, and then when the devil comes, he rips off his tunic, and he's got like SJ, you know, super Jesus, and he can, uh, you know, speak off, you know, the, the, the enemy, that he has powers that we don't have as humans, and that these really were not temptations to him. And I, I want to say that if, if they were not temptations, then everything that the writer of Hebrews says is false about Jesus, that we have a Messiah who can identify with what we go through and was tempted in every way that we have been tempted.
So if this was not a struggle for him, then a lot of scripture is false. And this is based upon one of the great doctrines of the Christian church, is the full humanity of Jesus. We have the, the, the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. And we tend to emphasize one and de-emphasize the other. And whichever way you go, you end up in a kind of heresy. The middle ground is the one that's really hard to, to hold. And for me, it feels like if, if, if I want to get a grip on, on God, I want to know that God knows what my life is like. And this is what Jesus does. It says he comes and he pitches his tent among us. He lives with us. He identifies with us. He takes on form of a human. So whatever you and I have faced in life that has felt really, really hard, just know that Jesus faced that too. Now, in the particulars, it may not look the same, but in the general, which I'll explain in just a moment, it holds true. So let me read the passage, if I may, first here. Uh, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in to a deserted area where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Uh, he ate nothing during that span of time. One of the great understatements of the Bible coming up right now, and at the end of them, he was hungry. <laughs> I'm just like, did you really have to say that part? Uh, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it's written, Man doesn't live on bread alone. And then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus said, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the third and final one, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, he'll command his angels about you to guard you very carefully. They'll lift, up, they'll lift you up in their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. You won't even stub your toe if you jump. And Jesus answered, it says, don't put your Lord God to the test. And then it ends with, when the devil had finished all his temptations, he left, left him until an opportune time. There is something so powerful in this story for us, as uh, we'll see. And I want us to just ask, why, why this story? Do we just read it and we sort of politely tip our hat and say, you know, uh, let's move on to something that's a little bit more, more meaty? Is this a, a crucial story for us? And I would contend that it absolutely is. This... Uh, this means a lot, and we ask, was Jesus really tempted? I think we answered that already. Yes, uh, Jesus was tempted. That may be hard for some of us to think about. Like, really, there was a moment where it could have gone either way? If we don't believe that, then again, we, we um, have a false picture of Jesus, that the outcome was, um, um, you know, in the bag and it wasn't a struggle. Uh, temptation that is no temptation is not a temptation. 
But here's the big thing, is why these three? What is it about these three that speaks to the human condition, to us? And I'm going to say that these three temptations, you've already experienced at least one, if not several, in every one of these areas today, already. So let's talk about the bread one first. And I want you to imagine with me um, Jesus sort of at the end of this time and the hunger that he would fill. Uh, I think the record that for going without food is 51 days, um, and that's it. Uh, but typically, by the time you're into week two, the body begins to cannibalize itself, and uh, the hunger returns, and it can be pretty powerful. So he's, he's hungry, and I want you to imagine what would Jesus feel like in that situation? What do you feel like when there's something you need that helps you to sustain your life, but you can't get it? What's the internal weather like in you? You're weak, right? You feel weak, but uh, what else? What's going on? Am I going to have bread? Am I going to have everything I need? What's that feeling inside? It's concern, right? It's worry. It's anxiety. It's fear. It's all of those things rolled up into one. It's like, will I have enough? Will I have enough and will I be okay in this world? And so we have anxiety, we have fear, we have worry. And what does it make us do? We do a number of things, but we could hoard or gather, right? Double up. Uh, maybe in our worry and our concern, we just avoid risk. We, we, we think forward and we say, well, if this bad thing happens, then I've got a plan B. And if plan B falls through, I've got a plan C. So we become very cautious. We become risk avoidant. We perhaps gather. We hoard uh, on top of the worry. Or we may do a flip of that and say, I'm just going to pretend I'm not worrying. And I'll just turn up the music really loud. And uh, I'll turn on the lights and I'll have, uh, I'll just sort of party through life as a way to drown out what I really feel deep down. And I would say these are probably the three biggest strategies for dealing with the worry, the anxiety that you have. Interestingly, there is a part of our brain, it's called the neocortex, the front part, that this, um, that does this thing right here. It's the one, it's like the executive function of our brain. It's where we think forward in time and we play out different scenarios. Like if this happens and this happens, it's a hypothetical sort of situational part of our brain. So we all have this and we do it all the time. How does Jesus respond to this? He simply says, I'm going to trust my Father for my daily bread. And he invites you, he invites me, to let this be a part of our prayers and our way of being. And if you think you're going to sort of solve this in one day, 
or a few hours of praying and you'll be healed for the rest of your life, guess again. This will be a daily occurrence for you. Even yesterday, I was just praying and journaling, and I spent a lot of time on this. Lord, can I trust you for what I need in my life, what I need for myself, what I need for my wife, and for my kids, and for my grandkids, in what feels like a press right now? Can you provide for me? And I have to sit with that, and I have to wait until I hear the Father's answer on that. But this is what Jesus says. I can trust my Father for his daily bread. So I don't have to grasp and take matters into my own hand and turn this stone into bread. God will give me what I need. So one is sort of a straining. I'm going to get it. I'm going to make it happen. And the other is relaxing back and saying, it's not that I don't need to work. Right? But I can trust that as I partner with God, God is going to deliver the goods. And God is going to help me distinguish between what I need and what I want. And the other thing is God is going to prioritize that my spiritual life is just as important as all those other things that I think, I, I, you know, that I want to keep me alive. So Jesus says, you know, don't work for the bread that doesn't satisfy, right? You're just going to get hungry again. He says, look for the bread that comes from heaven. And then he goes on to make that outrageous claim, I am the bread of life. But he looks to his father. And what does he say to us? He says, the, I'm sorry, I think I got a slide out of order, but that's okay. He's just telling you that you can... You can relax. You can chill. He says this over and over again. Look at the birds. Right? They, don't, they, they don't work hard. Right? Look at the flowers. They're not out there striving, and yet they're clothed, and the birds are fed, and how much more valuable are you? And can we really believe that, that God sees you, that God knows you in the particular, and that God is going to provide for you? in his great love. When we come to the kingdom, I'm going to go back here. This is an interesting one. He's taken to a high place, and it says in an instant he gets to see all of the kingdoms of the world. And the enemy says to him, I'll give you every bit of this if you bow down and worship me. Now, what I want to ask is, what is the draw for him to have that, and what would be the draw for you to have that? You're looking out there, and like, if you get that, what is it you can do that you couldn't do without it? That's a question we have to ask. What is it you can't do? If you have all of the kingdoms of the world, if you are the dude, then guess what you can do? anything you want. You can impose your will upon anyone you want. And you can correct every flaw that you think needs to be corrected. You can punish your foes. You can elevate your friends. You can fix everything that is broken in the world. And Jesus understands that he has come to redeem the world. He knows that at this point. 
he's going to redeem or save the world. And now here's a moment where he says, I could seize power. I could use power to impose my will. Or I can take another route. And it's really interesting that Jesus often refers to power in the Gospels. He says like the rulers of the Gentiles. He's referring to the Romans. He says that the rulers of the Gentiles love to make their authority felt. They love to do that, to wield their power. But not so with you. He tells us to become the least of these. He tells us to become like children. When you feel that way, like how many of you feel like things are broken in this world? Let me just ask you, okay? Do you feel like it's more broken than it was 10 years ago? Can I get a witness, <laughs> okay? It's crazy out there. What are some of the emotions that come up in you as you see the craziness out there, the brokenness? Just shout out some of the things. Fear, anger, sadness. Yeah, typical responses. Here, do you get frustrated with the way things are? You get irritated? Why can't people just behave? Right? Why can't we get along? Right? Why can't we have a civil discourse? Why are we throwing firebombs at each other? I mean, it's just like there's craziness out there. And I don't know where you stand politically, ideologically, or anything like that. Just know whatever side you on, you think the other side's crazy. Okay? That's just the way it is. And we are poles apart. And there's a frustration on both sides. And as Jesus is looking at this and thinking, I could, with power, heal the world. Could take matters into my own hands. What's my work? And I think the question is, like, not only just what is my work out there, but, you know, how do I leave my mark, impose myself upon the environment beyond my own skin here? How do I fix this broken world? And inside, we often feel frustration, we feel anger, we feel irritation that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And we want to project ourselves into the world in a good way and find our place and do the work that we're called to do. So when we can't, you know, when we're trying to do it on our own, then we'll, we'll, we'll dominate will perfect. Or you remember how in that earlier one you can party your way through life to drown out the worry? You can also numb yourself to drown out the anger, which can be the case. I'll just retreat to my couch and endless amounts of, you know, Apple TV Plus and Netflix and Prime Video and Hulu and just have my favorite snacks and quit watching the news and that's going to be my life. It won't work well. How does Jesus respond to this? He says, I trust my Father to bring the kingdom. Now this is really important, folks. 
It's important for me because I'm one of those who will often be like, I'll, I'll, I'll feel that frustration growing in me. And it's like, and this is the question I ask myself, is God healing the world or not? Is God redeeming the world or not? And who is on the throne? Is it David Nixon or is it Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? You know, who, who is healing the world? And what is my role? My role is to watch what the Father is doing and to join in the work that the Father is doing. And my part is going to be really, really small. When I look out into the world and I survey all of the brokenness, I have to say to myself, whew, looks like a mess. And David, there's one thing you can do today. There's only one thing you've been given to do, or two or three things, and that's all you can hold. And the rest of the stuff, you have to let it go and trust in the Father. Hold this for the Lord in prayer and move on. That's all you can do. I have two children who are very sick. I have a daughter who is really struggling. And just, and I have a grandson who is extremely ill, has a very profound genetic condition. I do a lot of, my wife and I, a lot of care for our family because they are struggling mightily. And I'm doing that while I hold down a full-time job and have other things because our kids are struggling. I often do the maintenance and care on their houses, and it's a lot. But you know what? This is my holy vocation. This is what God has given me to do. And I can hold that, and I can hold it with joy. And I can say, I don't know about all that other stuff, but it is not mine to hold. And there's a lot of stuff that all of us need to just get rid of. We need to say, what is it that God has given me to do? What is my work in this world? We're going to go to the temple scene. Jesus is on the highest point of the temple. And what we need to know here is the temple is the most, the most public place in all of Jerusalem. It's like the mall, as it used to be. Malls have taken a beating, but like everybody goes to the mall, right? People galore sacrifices 24-7. There's the court of the Gentiles where they can come and be and pray. Uh, there's buying and selling, which kind of upset Jesus, but that's another story. And then uh, you have the Jews coming to pray. I mean, this is like a big place, and it is a public place, and here is Jesus at the top. And he's wondering what if I threw myself off? Because this is a temptation, right? What if I did? Would God notice me? Would my father see me fall? And if my father saw me fall, would he catch me? So does my father see me, know me, care for me, love me? Does he have the capacity to rescue me? This is, is my father watching me? But then there's also the public, right? I mean, if Jesus jumps off 
and he's just about to hit ground, and the scriptures ring true, and he's rescued by angels at the last minute, and there's a crowd around. How the heck does the crowd respond? Whew, slam dunk, right? There, this, is, this is like, how do they resist someone like that? They would fall to their knees and say, this is the one. This is the one we've been waiting for. So you got two sort of avenues with this temptation. One is like, does God see me? And the other, do people see me and value me? But this is all in the area of relationship. Does God notice me? Will others love me? And inside, the thing that would sort of really make that boil would be this interior sense of shame. Like, it's not full-blown, but there's this thing that operates inside you that says, I'm not really everything I ought to be. Like, if people really knew me, they would reject me. I feel sometimes pretty unworthy. I beat myself up. I feel fraudulent inside. And when you're feeling these things, it's all in relation to God and people. And so we have strategies there. I'm going to get love and attention by I'll give and I'll sacrifice. I'll be a loving, caring person. I'll notice needs and things like that. And everybody will say, oh, you are so kind. You are so compassionate. You are so loving, tender, and caring. And how in the world would I get along without you? And you go, oh, thank God I'm not an unworthy person. And it's all good for a day. And then the next morning, you've got to get up in mainline again, okay? and repeat, right? Or you may do it by, you know, you may, you may accomplish that by just performing. You're on the stage like this, and you really bask in whatever the attention of others and maybe the applause of others. Oh, what, a, what you know, what, this person is just like uh, a rock star. But it could also be that, you know, you'll carve out your little niche by, by trying to be different from others, which is a weird approach. Because in every temptation, there's a weird approach. And that's basically you say, oh, I'm too special to be with the crowd. And you walk off and you distinguish yourself by being distinct. But you're looking over your shoulder and you're hoping they're going to say, you are so creative and distinct. Come on back to us. We would love to have you with us. And you go, oh, no. And you come back. Right? It's, uh, we just have these games we play all the time. And they're ways of diffusing what we feel. We're trying to diffuse... Uh, frustration and anger. We're trying to diffuse uh, the sense of shame or unworthiness. We're trying to diffuse uh, anger or worry. And what Jesus decides to do is say, no, first of all, I'm not going to jump off and reveal myself in this way to the crowd. I am going to trust my, trust two things. One, that my Father sees and loves me. Okay, and so uh, that's the first thing. And the second, that God will reveal me, my Father will reveal me to others as my Father chooses to reveal me to others, that I don't have to fight for that. We are totally in the area of relationship and identity here. And Jesus, we know how he responds. He just, he rejects it outright. I trust my Father 
I trust that my Father sees and loves me, and in that identity, I'm free to love others unconditionally. This is really important because uh, typically, I love conditionally. It's really easy for us to do that. Uh, I need you to tell me I'm good. I need you to tell me I'm worthy. But if you didn't need that from other people because you knew as Jesus was learning, I am a daughter of God. I am a son of God. I am marked by his love. I am the object of his delight. If you knew that deep, deep, deep down, you would do a lot less chasing. I would do a lot less chasing after the good regard of others. This is so important because this is our story. We are chasing security, we are chasing identity, and we are chasing purpose. We're chasing security when we try to manufacture our own bread. We're chasing identity when we're relying upon the crowd to tell us who we really are. And we're chasing purpose in the wrong ways when we go out and we try and fix things we were never meant to fix. What is the part that you're supposed to hold? And the part that only you can hold. I told you that the cortex, the neocortex, in particular the frontal parts of that, are the executive centers of the brain. and they, they think about scenarios, and that's where anxiety sort of creeps up. But you also have another part of your brain. Uh, there was a great book written called The Triune Brain. You have another part. Um, it's called the limbic system, and that's where relationship and emotions occur, the sense of we, of communion with others and with really the created order. And so this is in our brain too. Our brain thinks this way. And then we have another part of our brain that is very environment focused. What do I go out there? How do I, how do I be in the environment? Uh, and that would be the, the brain stem. And all of these work together. It's what it means to be human, right? We wake up in the morning thinking about how will I have enough to eat? How will I pay the bills, right? Those sorts of things. The second, who are my peeps, right? And does God really love me? And the third, what is my work in this world? And how do I go about that work? That's it. Every single sin that you can imagine comes from one of these three areas. And Jesus was confronted with the things that we are confronted with every single day. Every single day. In the opening of the Bible, we have this lovely picture of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We have communion. We have a picture of Adam alone and where God says it's not good for man to be alone. And so he creates Eve. That's the story. So we have, we have a picture of relationship that is beautiful. 
We also have a picture of uh, security. Um, I have given you every seed-bearing plant, and you can eat from any tree in this garden you want to, except one. Right? So we have one of provision, and then he says, and here's your work. Cultivate the garden. Take good care of it. Be fruitful and multiply, which is a way of sort of extending oneself into the world. Right? So he's basically saying, I got these, th these things covered for you. Is now, in Jesus, we get these three things back. And forever shall be. If you come to the end of the Bible in Revelation, there's another beautiful picture. It says that, uh, where John says, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Everything perfected. There's nothing out there anymore that you have to fix. You have a perfected state, and every tear is wiped away. So you have there a world that is restored. Do you have provision? Yes, you do. And out of that city flowed a river. And on either side of that river were 12 trees. And each of those 12 trees produced a new crop every season. So you get, you get a picture of abundance. And do you get relationship? You bet you do. God gathers, and it says there, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And it says, I am their God. He is their God. And he says there, these are my people. This is my people. You have a relationship restored. This is, this is the whole scripture. I mean, from beginning to end, it's those three things. Jesus in the middle who says, this is the way to gather, to regain what was lost. This is a way to move forward to what your destiny is. And we begin practicing that destiny now, every day when we wake up, and we say once again, Lord, I trust you for my daily bread. We pray that. Give us today our daily bread, right? I trust you today for my daily bread. I trust you for relationship. I believe once again that you delight in me in my worst state, that you love me in my worst state, that I don't have to fight to be known by other people, that I can simply have my primary identity as a child of God, and everything else will get sorted out over time. And I trust you for my work in this world. Every day, we come back to those three things. And if you can do those things well, man, you are reflecting the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, who wakes up every morning and says that very thing. I trust you in these three areas of my life. Not easy, not easy, but doable, and we have a Father who will deliver, and we have Jesus who is an example for us in this. So, in just a moment, we're go going to... Um, have some ministry time and some prayer 
available for you. Think of those things, fear, anxiety, sort of in this one circle, frustration, anger, over in this other, unworthiness, fraudulence, in this other. Where, where do you struggle in particular? And would you like to be more free? Would you like to be more free? Because this is what Jesus is doing. He is creating freedom for us. So if you are feeling plagued in one of those areas in particular, then by all means, just come up and confess that. Just say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm the person. Could you pray for God to meet me in this area? And let some of these good people uh, pray for you. Um, I, I'll just finish by saying, as I get older, I turned 69 this year. It's like, yeah, okay, I can, I can do that. But here's, here's what I notice inside. I care less about trivial arguments and things like that. I, it's like, it's not that doctrine doesn't matter to me, but I'm just not all hung up on being right on every issue. But there's one thing I want to be right on, and it's not and it's Jesus, but it's not being right about Jesus, it's being right with Jesus, okay? And I fall in love every year more and more with Jesus. Jesus has become so central because Jesus is the portal for my understanding God. And I am so grateful that I have a Lord who knows what I go through. Those days where I may be plagued, for a little bit on one of those things, I know that Jesus understood that. I know he did. And I know there's grace for me there. So I also want to invite you, if you want, just want to grow closer, come closer to Jesus, maybe even say yes to this astonishing person whom we profess as the Son of God. If you want to say yes to this, this um uh, this person this morning. You can do that. Come forward and pray. And Dwight, I have absolutely no idea what to do from here, so I'm going to let you take it away. <laughs>